0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode number 27 of the Paid to Be Me podcast, the podcast that empowers you to create a lifestyle and business that is authentic, fun, and highly profitable. My guest today is Jay Klaus. Jay is a writer, podcaster, and entrepreneur. He's the creator of The Freelancing School, which provides the training and community to help people make a living freelancing. With high-impact courses, coaching, and community support, Freelancing School has the tools to help creatives thrive as business owners. He's also the founder of Unreal Collective, a community for founders, freelancers, and creators. Jay also hosts Creative Elements, which is a podcast for creatives in the trenches of building their businesses, and Upside, a podcast about startup investing outside of Silicon Valley. In this episode, Jay and I talk about Jay's work supporting people to get into freelancing, the journey of creating more passive income-producing assets, and how to build an engaged, authentic online community that can help your business grow. As always, thanks so much for being here. It means a lot. You've decided to spend your time with us, and I'm incredibly excited to share this episode with you. Jay, my friend, welcome to the show.
1: Hello, it seems like uh, we were just waiting for an excuse to do this.
0: I have been looking forward to this conversation for quite some time, I have to tell you. So I'm very excited Same. to be sitting here, um, staring at you virtually, granted, but it's, uh, it's gonna be good.
1: You know, these days I feel like, and this is true even before uh, quarantine, I feel like I mostly exist digitally and virtually. Um, a lot of people, when they meet me for the first time, they're like, wow, you have three dimensions. And it's like, yeah, I do. You're
0: a real person, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for bringing your real and digital versions to this show. Um, how, have, uh, how have things been going for you recently? What have you been up to? You know, it's a weird year for everybody and
1: uh, most of my clients are business owners. So that's also a mixed bag of how my clients are doing, which has a downstream effect on me. But, um, you know, I moved into a new apartment at the beginning of February with my girlfriend and we were not living together previous to this apartment, but we found a place Mm -hmm. we moved again together at the beginning of February. We were planning a housewarming party at the beginning of March and we Mm -hmm. canceled that because we were starting to see cases happen uh, in the United States and we said, we don't want to play a role in this. We have a lot of well-traveled friends and people told us we were crazy and they laughed at us Um, and then things got real. But from that time, all of my business travel got canceled. I launched yeah. a new podcast. I've learned SEO and I've just created so much content and things. And you know, for me, I'm in a season of life where I want to create content and resources. I hate the word content, but that's the best way to describe it because it's, it takes a lot of forms. I'm in a season where I want to make things and support people. And uh, most of that is actually free. So couldn't really think of a better circumstance, you know, or forcing function for just staying in and making stuff that I'm giving away for free.
0: Yeah, I love that. I uh, have definitely had a very similar experience in the last couple of months. I think part of it has been really, it's almost like a call inward is how I would describe it. Like a call to slow down both from like a well-being perspective, but also from a work perspective. And I feel like I've gotten clear on uh, in, in a lot more ways, you know, here's the impact that I want to have. Here's how I want to serve the world. Here's how my voice is going to show up online. And then being, uh, being called to create a lot more, both in the form of, you know, this show and just content more generally.
1: Yeah. I feel like the first couple of years of my business, I know you just had your three year anniversary Listen to that episode of the show. So kudos you. to you. Um, Thank you. 3 years is no joke and I just crossed a very similar threshold so I get it. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the first 2 years of my business were it felt like I was riding a bicycle in first gear on flatland. <sighs> yeah. Like just pedaling like crazy and moving but like it just didn't make sense how quickly I was moving for how hard I was working. And uh 2020 despite all of its external flaws and issues for the business, it's felt a lot more like walking up a flight of stairs two at two at a time, you know. Mm-hmm. Like it's just been a completely different feeling mm-hmm. internally for how things are going, which I'm super mm-hmm. grateful for. Yeah, um, and I think a lot of it was honestly to the point you just made, uh, reeling back on some of my own expectations for uh, velocity and increasing my expectations for quality.
0: Hmm. Yeah, it's um, it's a cool place to be. So I feel like it's like a very natural, like what I'm realizing, even in doing this show and talking to a lot of other entrepreneurs, is realizing there's like these phases and these plateaus and these evolutions. And I feel like that's that's one of them. Is like, hey, just get your get your feet under them, or get your feet under yourself, <clears throat> understand what you're doing from a you know skills and development perspective, and then. Like once you have all those things in place, then starting to take a look at like, like right, how do I increase the quality of what I'm doing versus just like things out over and over. But I think it just takes time to get to that place. And the challenging
1: thing is, you know, I'll naturally beat myself up and question myself as to whether was I just doing this wrong for two years. Like what if I had known this and done this differently for two
0: years? Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I just don't think there's any way around like really just getting a ton of reps early on in trying it out and uh, doing things, even if you aren't the most effective in doing them, I don't think there's any other way to get to the point that we're describing right now.
0: Totally. Totally. So I know you're up to a couple of different projects and a couple of different businesses. And I gave the folks an introduction to you and a little bit about what you're up to in the beginning of this show. But I'd love to hear from you directly. Like, What all are you up to right now?
1: everything falls under the umbrella of helping creatives become confident, successful business owners. And if you go under that umbrella, you got a whole bunch of things happening. So I like to start with the top. Below that, you have this online accelerator program called Unreal Collective, which is a community Mm -hmm. of creators, founders, freelancers, who will do this 12-week online, essentially mastermind program with me. I've been doing that for three years. It's a whole lot of fun. And it's really where I started to learn more about my, my customer and my clients, honestly. So I still do that, but um, with fewer people. Much bigger and more recent part of that whole um, umbrella is freelancing school, which is an online platform I'm building to help as many people um, unlock you know the life that they want through freelancing as I can. It's on a huge uptick uh, nationally, globally. The pandemic has made um, a lot of people start freelancing who weren't necessarily planning on it, but it's also created a lot more freelance jobs as companies realize, oh, we can operate in a remote distributed function. We're more open to hiring freelancers. So in that business, you know, I, I write a lot of content, but I also have courses um, that really from scratch can help people get up to a very profitable freelance business. We have a free community now. That's where I'm putting a lot of my focus right now. And then the third bucket is my own personal writing at jclouds.com, which is um, same audience, but not necessarily just freelancers, people who generally want to make a living from the things that they make, Um, very similar to what you're doing on this show. I have a podcast that I launched in March called Creative Elements, where I talk to creators like Seth Godin, James Clear, Vanessa Van Edwards, uh, Matt Diabella talking with them about how did you actually get to this place where you're like making a living just from your work? Because those mm. people give a lot of interviews, but mm-hmm. it's a lot around their style and the work itself and their process. And just as like a startup guy and a product guy, I want to understand like what is the business model? How did you get to the point where this business funds you so you can yeah. do that? Because writing, podcasting, creating videos, all these things take a lot of money and time investment up front before you get any payoff in the end so how do these people do it Um, and that's been a lot of fun to run for the last three months
0: yeah that's brilliant so just a couple things just a couple things you got going on um just a I couple of things. Oh, <laughs> well, I think this is part of the reason, you know, why I so appreciate knowing you and having you in my network is because, you know, a lot of what I really care about in terms of supporting people and getting to a place where they've created a life, it's a direct reflection of who they are, you know, takes a lot of those same sorts of skills, understanding like how do you put a business together in a way that um, has you not totally killing yourself um, and also asking for what you're worth, working with people that you really love and care about and having an impact that you feel is important, like actually being able to do fulfilling work in a way that is, you know, sustainable and consistent. Um, And, you know, it's cool to, to, you know, in the last, you know, year and a half that I've known you to also like watch it evolve and looking at like how the, you know, the podcast started and, um, you know, podcasts that you've done previously. Um, But I'd be curious for you, like, where did that entrepreneurial streak actually start for you? Like, where did that story start? It
1: started in college. Um, When I, when I grew up, I just thought that the path was get a degree, get a job, leveraging that degree, work the job for 35 years, retire. (laughs) And I was so locked up because I was like, what is that job that I want to do for 35 years? I had no idea. And so I went to college undecided and uh, stumbled my way into journalism, which is like the biggest accident that has paid off in my life. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I had in my freshman dorm, two guys who shared a common wall with me. Who were entrepreneurs, and I set my weeks up in college, like the second or third quarter of my my freshman year, so that my weekends started on Wednesday night. I didn't have classes Thursday or Friday.
0: Mm, nice.
1: And uh, I was in an honors dorm though, and it was gendered by floor, so I could only hang out with other guys uh, who were nerds who were like almost all studying through the weekend, mm-hmm. let alone Thursday mm-hmm. and Friday. But these two guys uh, were always open to me just like coming into the room and spitballing app ideas because that's what was cool then. And one of them, they're like, you should submit this to this pitch competition for this club. And I was like, what's a pitch competition? What's a club? Like what's going on? And that was the entrepreneurship club at Ohio State. And that changed literally everything for me. When I when I saw that there are people my age who were not taking the degree to job route that they were building their own path and that they were making money at age twenty, I was like, "That's an option." I didn't know that was at yeah, all something that yeah. I could do. And you know, my friends and I talk about that was like the moment where we feel like we woke up, like we woke up to our agency uh, around uh, with the world around us. And man, so grateful for that serendipity because you go a long time without waking up and it's not your fault. Um, But for me, that was just me realizing, and not everyone needs to be an entrepreneur, but that was me realizing a viable path for the the desires that I didn't even realize I had. Um, Yeah, but it went all the way back to when I was 19.
0: I love that, man. And I think that's so important, the having other people and community that can show you what's possible. Like I feel very lucky in that a lot of my family members are entrepreneurs, small business owners. So I grew up around that kind of uh, practice, and so granted, I don't think it had as much of, uh, of an impact on me when I was in college as it sounds like you did. And you know, being involved in the entrepreneurship club and that sort of thing, but it definitely helped me get to a place where you know I was two years into my full time position and it was like, "This is not working. <laughs> this is not at all working for me." And there's something else that I would rather be doing. Um, but I, you know, I think that's something that so many people struggle with is this idea there's this script that you're supposed to follow um and you're right most people don't wake up to the fact that like hey it actually doesn't have to go that way like you can actually choose to do something else and break out of that script and write something different but you also have to be willing to like take the step take the risk and then you know not go the normal you know degree to uh corporate type of route
1: totally and i'm trying to be more um cognizant and um understanding supportive of people who want to follow the script like that's their script and that's okay um because entrepreneurship is just like the hardest thing you could ever do and usually when people are talking to me about starting a business of their own or even starting to freelance most time i try to talk Mm -hmm. them out of it because i need them Mm -hmm. to tell me no i'm gonna do it anyway for them to have a chance to get to year three you know Because it's just a constant melee of getting hit in the face with whatever the problem of the day is. And you have to really like to solve that puzzle to do it. I really think of entrepreneurship a lot of time as a puzzle. And I wake up in the morning excited to solve my puzzle every day. Like thrilled to solve the puzzle. It's exhausting. And sometimes I I wish that I would be happy with the script, but I know I wouldn't be. So I, I have to wake up and solve the puzzle.
0: There's um, have you read the subtle art of not giving a fuck by Mark Manson?
1: I tried. It's just it's like the perfect example of a book to me that I feel like I read the title and I get
0: it. Yeah, that's pretty much the book. So, <laughs> <laughs> like, you saved like, yourself a couple hours.
1: Incredibly good, like well selling book. And I started to read it, but even the first couple chapters, I'm like, this this reads like. I'm not going to hate on Mark Manson because I want to get him on the podcast at some point. I want to talk to him about it. It just it just didn't do it for me that book.
0: Yeah, totally. No, I agree. And you know what I will say is I'm I am glad that the book sold as well as it did because I think when it comes to personal development and self help, like it's funny because a lot of the books say the same thing, but it's important that they're said in different ways because different uh, people are going to resonate with it being said differently. And if you know the ultimate goal is to have everyone realize and come to these same realizations, like that's actually really important. But that's a great I agree point that the book just didn't resonate with me in that way. But one of the things that I did take from it was he, in, you know, in one of the parts he talks about how, um, you know, suffering is inevitable. And so you just have to pick your suffering. And he was talking about how, you know, when he was younger, he thought that he wanted to be in a rock band. And he realized that he hated practicing. He just like hated the practice of it. And then realizing later, like, oh, like you actually, you have to be okay with and love whatever the, the suffering is, the practice is, to love the end result and actually get to the end result. And I think it's the exact same thing, you know, in entrepreneurship, like you got to love the fact that like, Hey, you get to do, you get to create your schedule. You get to create things, really cool things and have an impact, but like, you know, health insurance, uh, you know, predictability, yeah. uh, you know, versus, um, versus going in and, and picking something else. And I don't blame people for, you know, wanting to, uh, follow the script and do the safe thing. Cause I love that. Quite challenging. I love
1: that idea of suffering is going to happen. So choose your suffering. I just read that for the first time in another book called "What I Talk About When I Talk About Running." Mm. Um, Interesting add-on to this this uh, little uh, parenthetical we have going on here. Mark Manson did an interview with, I believe, Lewis Howes about two years ago. I want to say, and he talked about after that book, like crushed. What that meant for his life afterwards, have you heard that story? No,
0: no, I'm super curious
1: he um really didn't know what to do because it felt like he had peaked and he said he spent a lot of time uh, I think it was Mario Kart that he played like he spent a lot of time playing video games for like a year afterwards because yeah. he just wasn't yeah. sure what to do with himself after that book was so successful because i i don't I'm not so close to the book industry to know these metrics like the back of my hand, but he sold um Oh gosh. It was like, it was a number of millions of books that is far and away like in the top five or 1%. Wow.
0: wow. Yeah. I get that, man. I'm like, <laughs> after you create something like that, it's like the, uh, potential pressure or stress of like what follows. Mm-hmm. How do you follow that kind of thing up?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a I book is that. such an interesting medium because it's such a Big project, that is like one big lottery ticket. Where you know, a lot of times, people who are um, creating for an audience of people, they're doing it in small ways, very, very consistently. So if you you misstep or you miss on a couple of these, mm-hmm. you've got a new one in the queue that you can release pretty quickly and and kind of grab people's attention back. A book is such an investment of time and thought, and it's so thematic that the next one of that is usually like wildly different and also a giant amount of work, which is a giant investment of time again.
0: Mm. Yeah. I'm not, yeah, I'm in the same boat as you, not super close to that industry or that process. Um, but uh, it, it's interesting because I have been connecting with people more recently around using it as like a business driver. And, uh, like the ups and downs or like the advantages and disadvantages of doing that and being clear about like, Hey, when is the right time to publish a book? And when would you want to, and how would you want to? Um, but, uh, one of the things I wanted to circle back around to, you were talking about how when people come to you, you try and dissuade them, uh, from getting into entrepreneurship. And what I hear in that is like being really clear that like, there's something larger for you in this process outside of just like trying to get, rich quick or like not having a boss. And I'd be curious, like, what's that thing for you? Yeah. I mean, well, most of the time, uh,
1: okay. So here's another example of a book that I haven't read, but I understand the e-myth. Yeah. The e-myth is this book that, you know, it's e-myth is short for entrepreneur myth, which means that, um, most small businesses, there are two myths that he covers. One is that most small businesses are started by entrepreneurs. And two is that, um, People who have the technical skill think that they have what it takes to build a business upon the technical skill. Mm -hmm. And he used the example of a baker. I know you know this, but I want to share this with the audience in case they're not aware. He uses the example of a baker saying, if someone's really good at baking bread, they might think, okay, I should start a bakery. But successfully starting and running a bakery is a totally different skill set than baking bread. And in fact, when you do that, you're probably not going to be the person baking bread anymore. And so when I talk to people who are thinking about, you know, starting a business, I try to explain that in different terms, basically to say, you're really good at this, but starting a business is a different skill set. It's a, an investment of five to 10 years of your life. I would encourage you to think of it. And is this the thing that you want to follow through on for that? And how is it going to work? You know, a lot of times people are really excited about an idea, but they haven't thought through all those implications. And you, like I I said, you really have to be obsessed almost to an unhealthy degree with whatever it is that you want to start for you to make it as an entrepreneur. And I've just, I've just more and more, especially, you know, as I've worked with so many entrepreneurs, I realized that you can't, you can't create motivation for somebody. Like you have to have this inherent drive Mm -hmm. and interest Mm -hmm. in whatever it is that you're trying to build and to get up. A coach can't solve that for you. And uh, a course can't solve that for you. You have to just in innately, you know, compulsively want to do the thing. And I need someone to prove that they have that for me to say, entrepreneurship is a good fit for you.
0: Totally, yeah. It's um, it's interesting too, you know, as a coach, like that's a piece of what I'm looking for in whether or not I work with people. Because um, inherently, like I, you know, I'm not a hand holder. I'm not going to be pulling teeth to get you to do anything. Um, it's really just about like, tweaking and guiding uh versus like trying to you're spot on like trying to motivate anybody to to do anything um and you know when i think about for myself like the thing that really drives me is supporting people in coming to the same realizations that i've come to from an interpersonal healing and growth perspective like understanding that the that what we're all looking for the joy the connection the peace the fulfillment like actually comes from the internal work and being willing yeah. to question like why am I doing these things? Well, you know how is the thing that happened to me when I was six years old still running the show you know in my life now um, and there's so much like life in that journey and in those questions. Um, and at the same time, I also realized that like not everyone is willing to go there. And in fact, most people are not willing to go there. Most people are not willing to have those kinds of conversations because they're scary. Uh, and because, you know, you might have to take a look at, you know, uh, who, who you believe yourself to be identity wise and be open to actually shifting or changing that. Um, and, uh, even in the times when I'm like, this is, this sucks. (laughs) This is terrible. Why did I decide to do this? You know, just just continuing to come back to this overarching perspective of like, what do I, what do I care about giving the world? And like, okay, cool. Like what do I need to do tomorrow to get back on path to do that?
1: Yeah. And it's interesting. um, Well, one, I worked with a coach before I started my business and it was like a game changer for me. And we worked Mm. on identity for the most part, but What's interesting is, you know, I think at my core I'm actually very very lazy. And I hate doing work yeah. that I don't think is necessary or useful or enjoyable or fulfilling. And usually that's work that's kind of handed down to me. And it feels like a lot of times that I start a business so that I could avoid that feeling, even though it actually results in infinitely more work. It just it, it doesn't feel the same. It's a different type of work that doesn't feel exhausting or tedious. It feels, you know, I I keep using this analogy. It feels like I'm making progress on the 1 million piece puzzle.
0: Mm, Yeah, totally. Um, So, you know, a big part of what I am looking to work with people on a big part of what I care about, like I shared earlier, is supporting people in creating a life that's a reflection of them, both from a business perspective and a lifestyle perspective. And I'd be curious for you, you know, as you've looked at starting these different businesses, you know, even like where you've chosen to live, like the social circles that you've included yourself in, like how has lifestyle or like the lifestyle that you're looking to create played a role in? you know, the business decisions that you make, who you choose to work Mm -hmm. with, that sort of thing. Uh,
1: Lately, this has been very intentional, but in the beginning, it was kind of by happy accident, which was out of college. um, I didn't get the consulting job that I thought I was going to take because I rationalized to myself that it was a good starting point. But thankfully, Mm -hmm. I didn't get a second interview at Deloitte or McKinsey. So um, I was looking at what I knew was the right answer anyway, joining a startup company at the early stages so I could get that experience. And I had an opportunity, honestly, walk right into my front door to, to join as the first employee co-owner of a company based in Cincinnati. I live in Columbus. Part of the deal was, okay, but I'm going to live and work remotely in Columbus. I just didn't want to mm-hmm. move. I, I had too much, too many friends here. Like I had no interest in moving to Cincinnati. So because of that, the first exercise he and I did was to calculate our budgets and our expenses so that we could pay ourselves as little as possible without, you know, losing money every month personally.
0: Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. And that like set a, it, it, um, what's the word? It tethered me to what I expect my costs of living to be, which are very low. And it also taught me that I value the the flexibility of working remotely um, on my own time, wherever I want. So going into my, my business now, I really built this from the beginning to be location independent. I thought I might actually travel like the country or the world or something eventually. Mm. <laughs> um, uh, I, I lost my interest in that, but, I built it so it was location independent and I could work wherever whenever which has allowed me to go on fishing trips with my dad and still be working you know one afternoon during that trip. Yeah. All of it is very very intentional for flexibility and for optionality because I want to get to a place where you know I don't worry about money because I've created the assets that I'm leveraging mostly passively to support me. And For the last three years, I've kind of looked at my income streams as this seesaw, if you will, where at the beginning, 100% of my income was client income and 0% was product Mm. income. And I'm just trying to flip that all the way on its head to where product income is nearly 100% and client income is very little. And it's just, you know, a constant grind of building towards that because the more product income i have the more risks i can take the more i can try new projects the more i can hire people to do things that i want to do less and you know my whole business is geared that way while still keeping my expenses very very low and that's dictated you know the types of homes i lived in for for the almost 4 years before moving into this new apartment with my girlfriend i was living in a 350 square foot um studio apartment above, above a bar and it was super super cheap it was great
0: mm-hmm. perfect
1: for doing what i was doing it was all that i needed but it kept my living expenses very low and that's one of the biggest expenses that you can have um i bought a car in cash out of college so i don't have a car payment that keeps things very low i don't have student loans um all of this you know all of it was in service to the lifestyle
0: That's brilliant. Well, the thing that I really hear in that is the intentionality, like actually like really intentionally being clear about when you are setting up the structures for the businesses that you want to create and the lifestyle that you want to create, you're clear on the outcome and the end goal. Like, Hey, for me, it's about it's about flexibility. Um, and, you know, it's been interesting, you know, for me in coming from corporate and diving into this being self-employed game, uh, where in the beginning, you know, I didn't know a ton of entrepreneurs. It's been something that I've created over time, like more getting involved in that community. Like that's something that I've had to learn the hard way is like being more conscious and aware of those things. Because um, I think that, you know, how the vast majority of people are socialized is not to think in that way. Um, and so that the, the, there's definitely a learning curve there. Um, and just like anything else, you know, it's, it's a practice. It's just simply, it's a mindset game. It's a skill development game. It's, you know, staying in, staying in the process as long as it takes to, to get to a place where you have a business that is working for you in, in the way that you want it to. Um, and I can imagine too, you know, in you sharing about creating something that's flexible and location-independent, you know, I, I would imagine that the upside to that is it also makes the business building process and the systemization of what you're doing um, much more cohesive and streamlined. Like it's actually like, hey, I can't afford to be messy in setting up these processes. Like I actually need to streamline how these things are going.
1: Yeah, totally. And it's a lot more standardized. Um, you know, I did have one client at the end of last year, and the very beginning of this year, that was local and it was about a 45 minute drive to get to where they operated. Um, They paid me very well, so I did it. But I hate that (laughs) because like, that's an hour and a half out of your day that's unnecessary. You know, with Unreal, part of the reason that we did our accelerator cohorts virtually is because I wanted to get rid of that commute for people. Um, Even though 60% of the people who have gone through the program have been uh, local to Central Ohio, I wanted them to be able to get off of another call, drop into our Zoom line, have a great, very um, high value hour and drop off and not miss a beat because they're all busy people running their own businesses. And I, I wanted to give them as much time back as I could. Um, so, yeah, it, it really it, it has taught me to build much more resilient and streamlined systems. I get so much more out of my time because all of it is really leverageable. I don't have to worry about a commute or or anything like that. And honestly, i i I've gotten my calls shorter and shorter all the time. Not our client calls, but like meet and greet type calls. I've I've shortened that window a little bit over time. And all of it, I like to think of my systems as my first virtual assistant. But I don't pay them much at all. It's awesome right. because I've just right. built it to support all the things that I want to do anyway.
0: Totally. Um, I think the other part of this too, you know, in thinking about like the intentionality of how you structure the business is also being clear from like an interests perspective or like a strengths perspective. Like what are the things that you actually enjoy spending your time doing? And, you know, you spoke to this idea of starting to flip the script from, you know, majority freelancing to majority product. And I'd be curious for you, like, what has that process been like to start to take a look at like, what are the products that I want to invest my time in from an interest perspective from a strengths perspective and I think the question I'm asking more generally is like how do you include more of your personality and authentic self in the businesses that you're creating
1: that's a great question because I didn't know for a long time and actually even unreal in the accelerator model that we have I was looking at that as more of a means to an end than a business itself and over the experience of actually working with people you know, I like to think of anything that you take on, it all has these elements of what it entails. You know, okay, I'm doing business A. Well, part of that is component X, Y, Z. I don't really like Z. So I'm going to focus on finding a way to just do more of X and Y and either changing business A or finding business B that focuses on X and Y. Go to business B, it has X and Y, but it also has V. And V is where it's at. You love whatever mm-hmm. component V is. So how do I get to a place where I'm just doing V? Mm-hmm. That's the type of experiment that I feel like I'm constantly running is saying, I need to trim the branches on this tree so that it can grow upwards, straight, and, you know be exactly what I want, and grow like in one direction, really right. strongly. And sometimes you have to cut off uh, branches and bits of what you're doing. Um, and that's just a lot of listening to yourself. And honestly, a lot of people don't give themselves the time and space to explore that. After I quit my job, and I'm sure you get this all the time too. I have so many people that are coming to me like, Hey, I just quit or I'm thinking about quitting. You know, I'd love to get your perspective because they realize they can see from the way that I act and the way I spend my time that like, I was happy with the moves that I made. So I think people are drawn to like, how did you figure that out? I always tell them like, just don't rush it. Like find a way so you can give yourself a lot of time and space to really reflect and, and think to yourself and and learn what it is that you're looking for and what would be a good opportunity for you because people make these moves quickly one because they didn't have a good handle on their expenses and their cost of living is too high Two, because they have an opportunity come by and they get kind of they like white knucklet and they're like what if nothing else comes through yeah but if they don't give themselves the space to reflect like it is well worth taking an extra month two months, six months to consider a decision before you lock yourself into a new job that you're going to be doing for 12 months anyway. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, it's better to take that time up front to be more thoughtful. And I feel, just feel lucky that Unreal, the way that I modeled it, it gave me not only enough money to get by because my expenses are really low, but the model itself lended itself to having a lot of time outside of that business a lot of time to explore what I wanted to do. A lot of time that I invested into writing and writing is taking subconscious thoughts and forcing them into a conscious understanding of what you think and what you feel.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And so that reflection has given me just a ton of clarity. And so when it came to finding the actual products that I wanted to find my way into, again, at first I didn't know, but it kind of showed itself. You know, One was a lucky break with our friend LinkedIn who reached out about doing courses on their learning platform. And I jumped at it, I'm like, sure, sounds awesome. Sounds like a really great freelance gig. And those courses started in product management because they didn't have any product management courses in their catalog, really. And as I started working with more business owners and specifically client-based business owners, freelancers, I found an opportunity to make a freelance course for LinkedIn, and I loved that. And I realized as a former product guy, the reason I was drawn to these service-based businesses is because they have, like they do really quality work and they like incredible creative work that is just rare and, and hard to teach and learn as a business owner. What they had was a product and a marketing problem.
0: Mm-hmm. Like,
1: they didn't know how to think of themselves as a product and market themselves to potential customers and sell the work. I love that stuff. And so many creatives, not only don't know it, but they are put off by it. And I wanted to show them everything that I do, you know, going back to this umbrella, I talked about of helping creatives become comfortable, successful business owners. Everything I do is to show people that if you want to run a bakery and you're a baker, you can run the bakery. You just have to learn the skills to run the bakery. And so many people are so uh, intimidated by that or unwilling to, in either way, you're not going to be successful if you're intimidated to learn or unwilling to learn. So it just kind of became the natural conclusion that, okay, the products that I'm going to make, it's going to be a productized, scalable version of the same skills that I teach people one-on-one in client relationships. I'm going to teach freelancers the business of freelancing.
0: I'm going to teach them how to market themselves and how to sell projects. Yeah it's, um, yeah I loved what you shared earlier about creating the tree and starting to trim off the branches um, I've definitely found the exact same thing in what I'm up to and it's funny too I, I imagine you probably have pretty similar conversations with people who are like hey you know there's this lifestyle that I want to create there's this thing that I that I that I feel attracted to but I don't know exactly what it looks like and half the time it's like it's just about getting started it's literally just going out and doing the thing and then taking a look at like what are the parts about this that I like like or don't like, you know, and then how do I bring more of that, uh, you know, into, into my life? Cause over time it then becomes this very, um, polished, uh, expression of you, um, that created through, you know, trial and error and discovery.
1: Totally. Um, There's gotta be, there's gotta be a kinesthetic or mechanical experience of the thing to know if you actually like it or not. And here, here's some more, um, Uh, ways that I get my own way. And I see other people get in their own way. You get this idea and you think it's a great idea and you love it. And you think, man, if I could do this thing, i would be so happy. But then you actively prevent yourself from just carving out time to do it because now you're so in love with the belief that you know what you could do and what could be real that you're unwilling to let yourself try and fail. And it's just worthless. If you, if you think that, Doing something would bring you happiness. You're creating misery in yourself by stopping yourself from trying. And yet, you know, there is the risk that in doing that, you might not be good at it or you might not like it. And you either have to keep working to get good at it or be comfortable with the fact that you were wrong and say, actually, I didn't like that. I'm not going to do it. But having this narrative that you tell yourself and you tell others of I want to do this thing, I'm going to do this thing and never actively taking steps to do it, even in small ways, is such a disservice to yourself that ultimately is not, it's just not helpful.
0: I was just writing um, at a, uh, a post the other day about why people feel stuck and I see part of it as People feel stuck when the expectations that they had of an experience don't match the reality. Like, you go out and you get the job, you get the promotion, you know, whatever big thing it is. And then on the other side, it's not like you expected it to be. And most people stay so focused on that dissonance, like the difference between their expectation and reality. And they stay so focused on the fact that there's a problem that it then prevents them from taking a look at, like, well, what's next? Like, what's actually the thing, you know, to move forward? It's like, watching a truck spin its wheels in the mud like you watching it and analyzing why it happened is not going to do anything as far as like actually getting it out of the mud like you got to be willing to like get in there and pull or you know and a lot of times they
1: don't even recognize that there's dissonance like they feel the dissonance but they haven't registered consciously that there's dissonance they're just stuck in it mentally and that's again like why writing is so powerful because writing is the way to just dump your subconscious mind into your conscious eyes and realize I'm thinking this, I'm feeling this. I'm always surprised what stream of consciousness writing brings out of me.
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The
1: other thing that Um, people do, mm -hmm. uh, and I did this too. This is something that I think is a fallacy. You know, you mentioned that get that job and there's dissonance. We, we optimize too much for this very fleeting ephemeral achievement. And then you're just the same guy, but now, you know, when you made the Facebook post officially announcing your new role as X, that was cool. You got a bunch of likes on it and you felt good, but now you have the reality of being that guy who has to do that job. And a lot of yeah. times it's not what we were optimizing for. We didn't want to do the job. We just wanted to have the job. Uh, and it's such a bummer, you know, like find something, even if it's hard that like you, like you said, choose your misery, choose the misery that you're going to enjoy doing.
0: Hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that you had mentioned before we started recording was around some of the work that you're doing in community, um, which I think is super interesting. And I love to 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 uh, explore it a little bit with you because I have... Um, definitely been looking at creating that more intentionally and doing it in a way that's more structured versus just looking and being like, oh, look, I've attracted this group of people. Um, so I'd love to hear from you just a little bit more about like, how are you, well, one, what role does that community play in your life in business generally? And then two, like, how are you actually looking at building it in a more rigorous and intentional way?
1: So the word community is interesting to me because I don't know when it was that I started first using it. In college, you know, I had this community of the entrepreneurship club. Then I started organizing startup weekend events and I had a broader startup community in Columbus. Those are both things I experienced and felt and valued, but didn't put the term community on top of. I just realized Mm -hmm. that I had it. Then moving uh, into this house after college where I lived with six other guys, it was ridiculous. Also incredible community. We had house shows, we had parties, incredible community of people. And I realized through that, that a lot of people didn't have that. And that was really kind of the spur of Unreal because I realized, wait, there are entrepreneurs who don't have a handful of other entrepreneurs that they could be in constant Mm -hmm. contact with and learn Mm -hmm. from. I can create that for people. I can be the lightning rod of talented, driven people and bring that community together. And here's where I think I really learned how to do community pretty well, especially digital community. Because digital community is much harder than physical community. It's so easy when you force people into the uncomfortable waters of being around themselves. Someone's going to break and say something because we can't deal with silence. Online, you can be in a community where you don't feel welcome and you can greet that silence with clicking the X and backing away and instantly being teleported out of that space. So creating digital community is so difficult. And a lot of people who have an audience, which is this one-to-one, many times relationship, They will send an email and say, hey, join our Facebook group, dump a ton of people into it. And they're like, check out how big our community is. A number of people in a community isn't a community. It's just a bunch of people in a space. So I really wanted to learn this year what makes digital community good. And the best training that I had was, again, unreal. Because when we started that, I started with five people and I started in a Slack group. And I didn't want that Slack group to be worthless. So I had to figure out how to make five people care about being in touch with each other in a Slack group. And then slowly over time, that built up to now 110 people in that Slack. And it's amazing. It's like my favorite online community that's out there. Mm -hmm. And it's because it started really slow and those people built one-to-one relationships. If you look at, I was so frustrated with the digital tools that were available for a long time because you had Slack, which is too synchronous, like too chatty, can't have many people, there's scale problems. It's also not very searchable. And the business model behind it doesn't support people who are using it for community. Facebook groups, which puts you on Facebook, which for a lot of business owners who are helping people be better business owners, that's not where you want to be. Yeah. Um, Then you have Discourse, which is this third-party forum software or other third-party forum softwares that are old internet feeling. You have Discourse, which is just like the gamer version of Slack. None of these tools did what I wanted to do. Um, And so I thought about building one and I did a lot of research around what communities are successful in real life. And I looked at CrossFit. And one of the best in uh insights that I got from studying CrossFit on community building, because these people like really identify with CrossFit. Mm-hmm. One, it's movement based. People like that. And they like to feel like they're a part of something. But even bigger, when you start doing CrossFit, you usually start because someone else brings you in. And so you have that connection with that person. They show you around the physical space so you get comfortable in the gym you meet other people one-to-one, and you start to feel a little bit of belonging. Not only do you feel belonging, but very quickly in CrossFit, you can start to see real transformation in your body. Yeah. So if you want to build digital community, really, I've done a lot of research now over the last six months to back this up, which really just validated my thoughts. You need to build one-to-one connections so people feel belonging in a space, they know their way around it. You need to show them transformation in whatever form they came to the community looking for transformation in. And if you can structure them behind a movement, that's better than saying, I follow Jay, I'm in Jay's community. Like, that's just lame. Nobody wants to do that. Nobody wants to say that. Nobody wants to share that. So community can be this incredible forcing function. And finally, uh, found a platform called Circle, which I love. Um, I've been working with Pat Flynn's team to help them launch the SPI Pro community and launched my own community from freelancing school on the same platform. Just like finally a platform that I believe in. It's early days, has a long way to go, but I know that the team has the right outlook and vision for it, which makes me very, very excited.
0: That's so great. Um, This is so cool. I love that you're sharing all this because it's super valuable and I've seen the exact same thing. I started a, um, you know, obviously before the whole pandemic thing went down, I was running a lot of live events uh, here in Chicago. And it's so cool in being the facilitator and creator of those communities because you start to realize what works and what doesn't. And I think you're so spot on with that sense of belonging and having people feel like they're in a space where they feel Welcomed, they feel like they belong, they feel like they know other people, uh, and they feel like they 're there for a reason other than just you and That was a huge thing in these community events that I was running was like it 's not about me at all like it 's about the idea it 's about what we 're here to do it 's about enrolling people in a vision of like why they 're all there and why they 're participating in the community you know, in the first place. Um, and without that, it's so easy to have communities just completely flop and die. Um, and what I find tends to happen is people then start to go to the almost like the opposite end of the spectrum. It's like managing and controlling the community versus like leading and up leveling the community. And on the managing control side, it's about rules. It's about like, well, it's very process oriented. It's very like uh, convincing or transactional. It's not very relationship based. Um, but it's like when you get give people a movement when you give people something to get behind and they can then take it and run with it themselves. Like that's when, you know, that's when the magic happens.
1: Totally. There's a lot of power in creating and then holding space for other people to do what they're trying to do.
0: Bingo. I um, had been speaking about it as experience architecture. Like how do you actually architect an experience for people? Because part of it is the physical or digital space in which they are gathered and being clear about you know, what, what platform is going to be most advantageous to people actually getting on and communicating and being in relationship with each other. But then also another really important part of it is who are you being in the space as the facilitator or as the leader of the community? Like how are you actually creating the clearing for people to show up and connect with each other in that way?
1: And that's actually pretty tricky, especially in the beginning, because you have these two competing important priorities, which is one, when somebody joins a community and they start to engage, you want to make them feel welcome and you want to help them feel like they belong. And so you, you want to go and comment and engage and lead by example. But the downstream risk of that is that other people who see your comment almost look at it as if Okay, that one's done. Everything that needs to be said was said because the leader of the group said something. I don't need to add on to it. So, like the best case scenario is you wait just long enough for somebody else to make someone belong, and then you double down on that and show that you appreciate that person exhibiting that behavior. But if that takes too long, if you don't have that culture already in place, uh, that first person didn't feel the belonging in the beginning. They've you know opted out of
0: the space it's just really hard yeah it's interesting the dance there and it feels like a lot of it just comes down to practice like just going through it a lot (laughs) and then intuition and deciding when to act um I'd be curious for you know the folks who are listening who maybe haven't had a ton of experience with digital community or like just building community generally. Um, if there's anything else that you would share in terms of advice, things to look out for, um, you know, common issues that people typically run into. I think
1: culture is really important, and that's 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 a lever that I hadn't articulated. But truly, you need to create a culture within your community that um, is aligned and it needs to come almost from the bottom up. Like you need to co-create it with the people. And so it's, it's really hard to do these things from scratch. It's really hard to grow a community from scratch. And, you know, the way that I did it with Unreal, which was with five people and then 10 people and then 20 people, I think that is a better model for building a sustainable long-term community because in the beginning you can help people. You can just do a Zoom. You can have people meet one-to-one. And, you know, now you're taking this digital community and making it almost like it's in person. And we did that with Unreal for the first 12 weeks, you know, but when you, when you go in and you just try to solve this problem with a pure number of people, I just don't think that's a good look and I don't think it creates a good culture. So I do think it's possible if you don't have an audience for you to create a really strong, like appreciated community in a very small way and and to not be ashamed of that whatsoever um, because the best source of growth for your community is other people spreading the good word and being that person bringing someone else to the gym. And they're only going to do that if they're uh, enjoying and seeing their own form of transformation. So focus small, be be you know resilient and happy with that. Even though you see all these people are like, oh, my Facebook group has 3,000 people. What does that mean really? Nothing.
0: Right. Right. So I love what you shared around the creating the culture for the organization and the community co-creating. I think that's so important. Um, and I'd be curious, like what you see as the connection between growing a community and then using that to actually grow your business. If
1: I put enough people into the funnel that some people fall out and buy it, they're going to be happy. They did. I just need to focus on building the funnel now. And so that's where I've been focusing. Um, Freelancing school is uh, a significant but not a majority part of my income at this point. And so um, while I build the funnel, I've taken on freelancing work and I've continued to do Unreal cohorts. I basically plan for freelancing school to be almost a nominal or bonus part of my income at this point. So I don't put any pressure on it for it to perform faster than it needs to for me to build the business that I want. And with the community, I just think of that as part of the top of the funnel. I think, okay, I want to create as much useful, free information as I can for this audience to bring them into my world. And if they decide that they trust me and want to take a chance on buying the courses, they'll do that. But my job right now is to earn trust with people and do that through free information. And there are a lot of ways to do that. I'm doing it through the podcast, Creative Elements. I'm doing it through the articles that I do on Freelancing School, which is built for SEO. I'm doing it through my social media in very small ways. The big way that I wanted to put on here was this community where I bring people into the space, I hold the space, I make it a comfortable space, and I invite them to ask their questions uh, where I can answer it and build trust there. I can hold meetups. We're doing our first meetup next Wednesday. And uh, it also helps me source a bunch of information for my target audience. Like it serves as its own spur for okay, what type of, uh, what should I cover in my next article? What should I cover in my next podcast? It's really useful, Um, but I I don't look at it as a moneymaker. You could have a paid community. With this, I wanted to use it as a free top-of-the-funnel trust-building resource.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, being able to get that firsthand knowledge of what people are looking for and then being able to speak to that directly. Jay, has been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on, sharing your insight Sharing your wisdom. um, Where can people find you?
1: Totally. Well, thanks for asking. Any of the places I mentioned are great. Uh, You're listening to this podcast, so you like podcasts. I would love for you to check out Creative Elements. Um, Otherwise, find me at jklaus.com or at jklaus. Those will link off to all the fun things I'm doing, including the podcast, including freelancing school and the courses there and the community. Um, Yeah, I'm hard to not find online. So if you search my name, you'll
0: find me. Awesome. He's got brilliant, brilliant content. So definitely go check him out. Uh, any parting words of wisdom or advice for folks to build bigger, better businesses?
1: It's only going to get easier. This is the hardest that'll ever be.
0: That's very accurate. <laughs> Thanks for sharing that. Uh, uh, and then the way that I love to close out these shows, Jay, is with acknowledgement. So are you open to me acknowledging you? For sure. Awesome. Um, Jay, there's actually a bunch of stuff that uh, that I want to acknowledge you for. But um, first and foremost, I really just want to acknowledge you for being a creator and a creative. Like It's so cool to hear about the things that you're up to and the things that you have in your pipeline. Um, Because I get that they're from a very authentic, um, you could almost say like soul-oriented place. Like the things that you're creating are things that you believe in and care about. Um, So thanks for like being a role model and a leader uh, as far as like what it means to create a business where you get paid to be you and have an impact at the same time. Um, Thanks for being so committed to service. Like it's actually, it's cool to be in your sphere because um, a lot of what I get from you is a commitment and a focus on uplifting people through bettering their skills as freelancers, as business owners, as entrepreneurs. Um, and I think especially in the entrepreneurial space, like there's so much room for everyone. And I think sometimes it can be sort of confronting uh, to get involved in that like if you don't know anybody or if it's just not something that you have had a ton of exposure to. Um, so thanks for like being a super accessible way for people to get involved in entrepreneurship. Um, And ultimately, right? Like that has an impact on the long-term trajectory of their life and the things that, you know, they get to do, um, and like, just thanks for bringing a lot, a lot of like love and heart into everything that you're up to, like into your products. I just get it a lot from you. Like when, you know, when we're connecting and in this podcast too. Um, so yeah, man, thanks for the work that you're doing. Like super appreciate having you my network and um, thanks for being on this show. Dude, that means a lot. Thank you
1: for saying all those things. Um, one thing there's no way for you to know, uh, but you know, I mentioned this coach that I worked with before I started my business. And one of the first exercises he had me do, he was like, "Go for a walk. Take a pad of paper, take a pen. Don't listen to music. Don't have any other distractions. Just take a walk and listen to whatever tapes run in your head and write it down." And uh, at the time, I was uh, employed. It was between our startup that we sold and this business. I worked for a year at another company, and I had this tape in my head of, "I'm not an artist. I'm not creative. I don't have my own ideas. I need someone else's idea." to execute on and I'm less valuable because of that. Like that's literally how I felt about myself. And I wrote that down. Mm. Uh, we burned it on a piece of paper. Um, I started, uh, writing a weekly, actually daily newsletter the next day Yeah, and that's led to everything I'm doing here. So for you to acknowledge me as a creator, uh, means a lot because it's been a long journey to get here. Um, and yeah, I appreciate you too. Um, a lot of positivity you're putting out into the world, which fuels me and helps me. Um, and love that you're, you know, doing this podcast to fuel a lot more other people too.
0: Awesome. Thanks man. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed this show and want to stay up to date on new episodes or other special offers, I'd invite you to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. And if there's ever anything I can do to support you, please don't hesitate to reach out and let me know. See you next time.